The iPhone XR is here at T-Mobile, and there's a whole lot to love. Like taking those perfect new year, new you portrait mode selfies you're going to share. Nice. It's the best way to stay connected to everyone you'll heart most in 2019. So get ready to fall in love with iPhone XR on T-Mobile, the most loved in wireless. Call 1-800-T-MOBILE to learn more or visit a store today. to another holiday edition of the Street Alone podcast. I hope everyone listening had a wonderful holiday and got all the good stuff that they wanted and are ready for some football. And so to do all the things that are football related and talk about them, I have my good friend Paul here with me today. Paul, how are you? Hello, how are you? Good. Oh, and this is Caroline. For those of you that haven't picked that up yet, Pierce oh, is not I here. Pierce. Oh, I was so confused. <laughs> oh, yeah, sorry. Ooh, got that out of the way. Um, but yeah, it's... Uh, there's one more football game left this year, Paul, and it's on Saturday at noon, and it's the only important football game that's on on Saturday. Clearly, um, the most important. <laughs> absolutely, like y'all can keep your you know. It's hey, look, it, it is the Belk Bowl finals, so I don't want yeah. the semifinals nonsense. That's very true. That's it a good point. The only game being played in Charlotte. And good news is that the weather's supposed to be knock on wood delightful. So unlike the first responder bowl, <laughs> there's probably a pretty good chance that it won't get canceled. Um, which let's just talk about that real quick. The bowl season to start has been a little bit crazy. I don't really care about anything that happened on the field too much, but <laughs> uh, have you ever, I mean, there haven't really been any instances of a bowl being canceled. <laughs> no, it's absolutely like you would, ex- you would almost expect it of like the Bahamas bowl or one of those games yeah. that's played on like, you know, an intramural soccer field behind a Walmart somewhere. <laughs> but like this is at the cotton bowl. Like it's not at, Jerry, yeah. it's at the old cotton bowl, but still it's like, Figure something out. Like I'm I, pretty surprised that they had – well, there was also, like, thunderstorm warnings. So, for people listening that may not – there's a lot of stuff on Twitter and going around. It's like, why do they just play it the next day? And it's the same thing that we talked about a little bit with all the moving parts for when games during the regular season are being canceled for hurricane stuff. Um, the moving of a football game, especially a bowl game, logistically, is a nightmare. <laughs> like – in order, you know, that's now we're talking because uh, that was a one fifteen game. So I guarantee you that all like the teams had planned on leaving that afternoon, like after the game. So now we've got to find hundreds of hotel rooms in the Dallas, greater Dallas area with the national semifinals going on, like also in Dallas. So like, there's a lot of moving pieces. So I get why they can't just be like, Oh, we'll just meet you here tomorrow at 9am and we'll play it then. Um, but Holy shit, the game was canceled. <laughs> Like, yeah. No, I, I like, I'm, I'm not sure that like they would necessarily would have left that day because like it's a 115 game, it's a bowl game, so yeah. factor in TV and all that kind of stuff. You're still running until like five o'clock at least. Then you've got a couple hours for post game, and then you've got to get back to Boise and Boston. So like, but 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 that doesn't yeah. so, like playing the, the like. Could they have stayed an extra night? Maybe I don't know. Um, but it does seem like it. It is it seems like the only thing that happens for regular season games is they'll just keep pushing it back. It's like, Oh, we've got a three hour weather delay. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's fine. Virginia and BYU did that a couple of years ago. 
I and think I, just, ESPN, I wonder how much the like the TV slot. Yeah, I think ESPN owns the bowl. Yeah, so he, I guess I don't. Yeah, it would be. I would. I would. I would watch a thirty for thirty. Sold. Yeah, maybe like for maybe sure. like a fifteen for fifteen. Like <laughs> not a full thirty. Just <laughs> I want like I want you know a good long form on what happened. Yeah. <laughs> they can do and the second fifteen the minutes on the cheese it bowl. That oh my god! So I completely, <laughs> I completely missed that, and then woke up this morning <laughs> and like started checking my college football Twitter that had apparently. <laughs> all tuned into the game at halftime. <laughs> yeah. Um, it was like three different sport writers were like, took bad beats on having bet zero combined points for the third quarter. And then there was that the touchdown that got overturned and then overturned again right at the end of the third quarter with like 20 seconds left. Um, I mean, it's nuts. I, I won. It's my new favorite bowl game because the trophy is a bowl of Cheez-Its, yes. um, which, okay. Amazing. Uh, fantastic i wonder is it like do we think it's an assortment is it like the pepper jack and oh it better it just like did you know so i read yesterday on twitter this is what i love about bowl i am pro have as many bowls as it's physically possible because you get stuff like this and like i didn't i engaged only on twitter basically for this game because you know it was like later and it was phenomenal to follow, and the jokes were great. They called it like I saw a couple like the cheese ints, Brian <laughs> Tees. Nine, uh, was it nine, nine interceptions? interceptions. Yeah. At one point, the TCU quarterback I think had three interceptions and four completions. Nice. <laughs> there was an interception that he threw after he got the ball thrown back to him beyond the right, line. So there was scrimmage. that was my favorite. That was my favorite <laughs> little stat tip. There was a play that had both a completed pass. <laughs> And an interception. Yes, that's my favorite. Um, and then, like, I learned there's 16 different flavors of Cheez-Its. Seems which, low. Oh, see, I was like, aren't there, like, four? <laughs> like, no, see, well, there's big. Cheesy. Does that count there's, as a flavor, though? Or is yeah, that a whatever. flavor? Are we variety. Counting? It's okay. a variety. <laughs> variety, yeah. So we've got big. Do you know what the best Cheez-It is? The regular the ones. ones. <laughs> Multigrain. Oh, because one because they taste almost exactly like the regular and two i can convince myself that they're healthy because it's whole. <laughs> but, I mean, what a great bowl first of all and i saw someone else point this out but their logo is fantastic like it's played in arizona and they incorporated the whole of the cheese it as the sun like the arizona flag like that's great that's brilliant yeah. and you get a bowl, like it's just a bowl which looks nice it's like a crystal bowl on top of a trophy so it's not just like they handed you like a plastic bowl that you make popcorn in <laughs> Though, exactly, previously held muddy like the muddy buddies, whatever <laughs> for a party. Um, but yeah, it was full of, and now the players got boxes of Cheez Its like right after the game. Yeah, those <laughs> definitely survived the bus ride back to the, yeah. hotel. <laughs> the walk to the locker room. <laughs> like, so there's these great pictures of like the DCU horn frog mascot holding like a box of cheez-its and he was stealing cheez-its out of the trophy like this is why saw, can, a, can he do we think he could eat the cheez-its through the mask he'd have to probably stick i don't know what you mean it's a real horn frog that's Paul. true it is a <laughs> true to life anatomically <laughs> correct Giant horn frog animatronic horn can frog. shoot actual blood out of it oh, i forgot they can do that so yeah favorite thing about that mascot favorite thing about that mascot. full season is amazing and i love it and so it's almost virginia's turn virginia plays at noon on saturday um and so right now they're doing all the fun bowl week stuff this is what i love and what's important about bowl week not so much like the actual game i mean the game's obviously important and the most important part but this is what people have talked about with 
even making a bowl, depending on what the stature of said bowl is, is important because you one, get more practice. And two, this is fun for the guys, like and their families and the, you know, everyone who's involved because they went to the Charlotte motor speedway yesterday. Did you see any of this stuff Paul? <laughs> I did. It's <laughs> the going like, 160 the miles. Charlotte thing you can do is go do NASCAR stuff. Yeah. Um, it was great. Like they got, apparently Alameda was like not planning on going in the race car at 160 miles an hour. And then he was like, YOLO. Like literally said you only live once. I know. (laughs) Um, but I love that stuff. And they went to the NASCAR hall of fame and we're doing like competitions, changing tires. And (laughs) I have to admit, I don't, I don't know how much a a bunch of guys from like, you know, Chesapeake and Virginia Beach like oh yeah NASCAR that's been a prominent part of my conscience my conscious sports watching experience my entire life I mean I'm curious to see how much the coaching staff has been like remotely involved big big thing in Utah all of the coach Menonol big NASCAR fan um (laughs) but it looked like they had any I think anytime that you let the guys compete they're going to be super into it. Oh yeah. Um, and so that was definitely part of it. And then today they were, um, today they, they did like a pit crew competition. Yeah. Pit crew competition. Change it. I thought it was like nine seconds, which is not like, that's, that's pretty good. You know, it's not like, I'm, I'm sure I've just made fun of not watching NASCAR. And I'm like go. nine seconds. What are you trapped in mud? Like, probably faster than off. they didn't have to take the full tire off. They just like, take it off and then put it right back on and then whatever i'd want to be the person that does the fuel because that looked like the easiest thing notice they gave making. that to they gave that to the backup punter <laughs> or backup kicker backup well <laughs> and also like a lot of times it was like the bigger linemen like you yeah exactly, yeah, exactly. <laughs> throw two linemen on the jack <laughs> yeah exactly running, running back on the on the lug nut gun and then just put a punter. <laughs> um yeah and it looked like today they were doing uh they went to the food bank and packed some bags which is great obviously these always have a um a charitable arm um yeah so last and, year and shout, out, shout out to the guys for having done that before they left Charlottesville too. Um, yes, also was, true. I mean, I I know the defensive backs did sort of a like community secret Santa thing. Uh, I don't know. I don't remember if there were other position groups that were involved also, but I know coach coach Atawaya, the yeah. running backs coach, giving them a big shout out on Twitter for it, which um, is awesome. Like it's really nice yeah. to see. And the, I mean, a lot of yeah, and that's so so true. Um, and it it also like it seems like there's been enough time for people to get healthy, which is going to be a big key. Um, this game is interesting. I will fully admit not to have watched a lot of South Carolina this season. Nope. Um, not just not real high on the list of. <laughs> yeah. Those like, <laughs> mid tier SEC East teams. So yeah. Um, but the big, I think when looking at first glance and see what you think um, on this is that their passing game is going to be the biggest test. And when I look at it, thankfully, the one of the units that I'm still the most comfortable with with Virginia is the secondary. Um, so Paul, when you look at that matchup, like you got Jake Bentley, um, they're obviously missing Debo Samuels yeah. who is sitting out to prepare for the draft. Um, but that doesn't mean they don't have competent receivers behind him. Um, when you look at that matchup, how do you feel about it looking at it and what else concerns you or interests you matchup wise in this game? Well, I think, I mean, the, the thing that's the most surprising to me is looking at a, a Will Muschamp uh, coached team that has just a not good defense. I mean, just not fantastic. Um, that you would you would expect, you know, they're they're looking I'm looking at their their stat profile from from Bill Connolly and they're 29th in offensive S and P and then 61st in defensive. And that's yeah. just you know, that 
total switch from, from what you'd expect from, you know, coach boom. Um, but I, I agree with you that given that it, there's, it's a, another sort of strength on strength matchup that we've seen a couple of times this year, I feel like with this Virginia team, um, that, that the defensive backs, Virginia strength, waters, even core South Carolina strength, um, and just kind of running down their roster. They've got some big wide receivers. They've got a couple of guys that are 5'10", you know, Shai Smith and Josh Van, both kind of not all the way, you know, small down to like slot receiver size, but, not, you know, sort of average power five kind of speed wide receivers. And then Brian Edwards is 6'3", 220. Yeah. And with Debo Samuel out, he's by far the, the leader in targets uh, for that South Carolina unit. He's got – Debo had 97 targets for the year and 62 catches. Edwards had 85 with yeah. 50 catches, and then Shai Smith was third with 56. So you start seeing a pretty sharp drop-off um, after the top two. And with Debo out, I mean, I mean, I would – if I'm them, I'm trying to hammer hammer the ball into to Edwards. Yeah. Um, it'll be a good test. I mean, you've got a guy like Bryce Hall that's, that's good-sized, everything – as he's starting to get more draft hype, there's a lot of talk about his size being a big part of what makes him such such an intriguing draft prospect. Yeah, um, and he'll have his hands full. You know, him. I think him and Juan Thornhill should match. You know, between the two of them, can probably sort of trade off that sort of size matchup. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, uh, I mean, that, that's the good thing is that UVA has been trying to fill its defensive backfield with big guys like that. Tim Harris is no shrinking violet. Um, and I, I, the thing that will be interesting to me is whether UVA tries to go to the, use its depth a little bit this game. You've got a bunch of guys that have, have played in one, two, zero, one, two, or three games this year. Um, and with the new redshirt rule, that means this is their chance to actually see some action without burning a redshirt. Yeah. Um, so you've got a guy like Jalen Baker that's a you know six two six three defensive back that's been on this roster and hadn't seen the field much. Like, do you maybe give him a run? Maybe it's maybe it's just for a series, not to start. You know, maybe not to not in the second half, but like a second quarter series against a big wide receiver like that. Try and see whether guys can can play some roles. So I think that's that's kind of like a hidden storyline that I think could be interesting. Is, is yeah. whether we see some guys we're not used to. And I'm looking at what I like about you look at their receiving core and like you said, Debo Samuel, obviously super talented, the guy to go to 11 touchdowns. Um, Brian Edwards with seven touchdown receptions on the season. And they've got a pretty fair amount of like spreading the wealth. Um, but I like that that's something that what Virginia does is it makes it difficult to guard is you've got Joe Reed with seven reception, touchdown receptions, Alameda with six, Hasis with five who have had some injuries. Um, down the stretch here. So I'm curious to see how available his CSU was, but I'm just curious. I don't know what to expect of this game. You know, maybe it's because there's been a couple weeks off and we've been in full basketball mode. <laughs> yeah. I've been in full basketball mode. Um, but I'm curious and maybe part of it is like, you know, they looked great to start the game last year. <laughs> and then they yeah. But I don't, I don't think and then that that's they ended be. the game after UVA's opening kickoff. For <laughs> exactly. And then so. talk about a time to have a first responder bowl incident would have been great last year. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> too cold. Everyone go home. Virginia wins. <laughs> Unfortunately, last year's bowl game also ended in a no contest. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> that's so oh. true. Um, I don't know. I feel like this is a, a good matchup in the sense that 
they get a chance to play against a middling SEC team. Not middling. I'm not trying to like give anyone. Yeah, no, but it's it, they are they're middle of the pack in in what is still arguably the strongest conference in the country. Yeah. Um, well, they you know, certainly think so. They're seven and five. We're seven. Yeah, you know, Virginia seven and five. They've had similar seasons. I think that's why I'm curious to see how it plays out is because they have had several games that were decided by a score or closely contested. And Virginia clearly has had the same thing. I've seen maybe there's some lack of enthusiasm going down the stretch with the way the last couple games ended, but you can't deny that Virginia was in every single game that they played this year. Yeah. Um, and that's, I mean, that's what, I mean, that's a good step for a growing or developing team, you know? Yeah. To be competitive against every single team you play is really a baseline of all you could ask for <laughs> going I forward. I yeah. Agree. So I, I think that's the part that I'm most curious about, see how they come out and see. I mean, it's just, I don't, I'm just excited to watch Bryce Perkins play again, if we're being honest. Like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, I, that's, I, <laughs> I'm actually interested to see whether they, the, the series thing, I think the alternating series that I was kind of talking about, Brennan Armstrong is actually the most interesting whether they try and use him because he's played in three games. So he's got one more. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that would be an interesting way to like, and I, I, I'm, I'm intrigued to see how the game plays out from a personal management standpoint, which is the, one of the nerdiest things I've ever said. Um, but seeing whether the coaches are really leaning into, we've got to keep our best 11 on the field every moment. So yeah. to, because winning this game is really important to us. And I, I would, I, I would be okay with that approach. Let me be clear. Like I having not beaten tech this year, the other easily measurable yardstick is not just the number of wins, but also then winning the bowl game. Um, So there's a, as much emphasis as there has been on increase the profile of the, raise the profile of the program, show measurable success, measurable progress. I, I, would not be at all surprised if they're really leaning hard into the win the bowl game because it puts another, you know, gets them to eight wins. I mean, that's, yeah, that's huge. I I agree. I think that would take some, I mean, definitely that sting from the tech game lasts for a while, but it takes some of that off with like, it's easier to call this a successful season. And I hate saying that like in a way that sounds like it wasn't otherwise when I think that they outperformed and obviously outperformed expectations. They were picked to finish last in the ACC and until, two weeks left in the season, they were still in contention technically for the ACC coastal. So, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, I think putting a statement win over an SEC team wouldn't 100% be a really, really nice touch to the end of the season show. What exactly what you're talking about that development, that growth, that it's, it's it'll be, I, I'm excited. There's, I, but at the same time I say that I have very little like stress or anxiety about this game. I don't know. Is that weird? I don't Maybe yeah, I mean, it's kind of – I've said that before. I've said that before on the podcast. I'm like, yeah. I'm leading into the Georgia Tech game. I was like, meh, whatever. Yeah. And just, and, you know, it's, the game goes to overtime and I'm pulling my hair out. So, yeah, yeah I, it's like I don't – it's not that I don't care. Um, I do – there is sort of a zen, like, okay, look, it's been a good season. It can be yeah. a better season. Yeah. Um, and, of course, once kickoff comes, I'll be – you know, just cursing everything South Carolina. Throat, trying yeah. to stop the jitters. Um, well, we already got that one dub over basketball. <laughs> yeah, exactly. As I said, I would take another 17-point win over South Carolina. I'd be a for sure. Fan of that. So, what do you what do you think happens? How does this game play out for you? I think I, going back through some of their stats, I I had not realized that Debo was also their primary kick returner. 
Um, so their kick return unit is one of the best in the country. They're, they're top 12 um, yeah. on, on the kickoff efficiency, kickoff return efficiency. Um, but of their 31 kick returns this year, Debo's got 23 of them. Oh. Um, and the two guys behind him have not been any, any you've, got, you've got one guy with three fair catches who I think is a tight end. Um, and then, you know, a guy averaging 20, about 20, you know, about five yards of return less than Debo's. A.J. Turner is their sort of yeah. second, second biggest return guy. So that's, that's actually, I think, you know, you, when you've got a um, – UV the the offensive and defensive S and P ranks pretty much match each other. The South Carolina's offense is 29th. Virginia is in the mid 20s on defense. Uh-huh. And it, it's sort of it's low slipped. 60s for both South yeah. Carolina defense, Virginia offense. And we talked about unit by unit. There's pretty good matchup. So that kind of opens the door of like, well, then special teams ought to be the difference maker. South Carolina is rated very well on special teams. It has still been, even as it has improved with Brian Delaney as kicker, it has still been kind of the weak point for, for Virginia. But now a big part of why they're that good is not playing. So there's yeah. a, um, the two things that I'm, I would, I continue to be the most concerned about are the, the other elements of South Carolina's special teams game are still really good. They've got a really good kicker. Um, but the, the strength of their defensive line, I see it, it feels like it's setting up to be kind of like an NC state, um, matchup that it's just there. We can, Virginia can probably match them speed for speed on the outside. Um, and, and I think can game plan well with them, but there's just, it's an SEC defensive line. They've had solid, very solid recruiting classes the last couple of years, yeah, it's it, it it's not like playing Clemson's defensive line, but it's sure. still a very solid defensive front that gave yeah. Virginia so much trouble against NC State. I, that's that's yeah, no, that's if a, Virginia can hold its own up front there. I feel like it's much if they if Virginia can even neutralize South Carolina's defensive front, then it becomes a much better game for Virginia. Yeah, no, that's a good point. Um, yeah, line play is just always going to be until maybe like not next season, but the next season. I feel like I'll be more comfortable with. Yeah. Where yeah, we're going what happens with play. transfers or anything like that. Yeah. Um, so I'm looking at it and I'm like, all right, I just want to see some solid play calling <laughs> <laughs> offensively. That's <laughs> such a small. And I just want it to be like, compa- I, this is what I always complain about when people say like, this basketball team's going to lose five games and that's okay. And then they lose five games because they don't play well. <laughs> and then everyone's like, I can't believe they did this, this, and this wrong. Like just be competitive and I'll be happy. I no, I, I think they have a good shot at it. I think it'll be close. I think it'll be a one score win either way, whomever, but I'm going to, I think I'm going to go Virginia wins this one. I got to stay positive. What about you, Paul? Nice. Um, yeah, why not? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I mean, like the what is it, ESPN's predicting about a um, five or six point South Carolina win. It's about what yeah. the line is. I think it's five and a half as of you know uh, Thursday morning. Um, so I, you know, but Bill Connolly's, you know, he's projecting about three points in South yeah. Carolina's favor. So yeah, I'll, I mean, single score in either direction sounds about right. Yeah, um, yeah I'll go four point Virginia win. Weird touchdown Ooh. at the end. Why not? Cool. Um, so we'll just tra- slide 
transition quickly into some basketball. Um, Virginia 11-0, and one of five remaining undefeated teams. Um, pretty convincing win over William & Mary, 72-40. to Not really ever in doubt. The only real bright spot for William & Mary in that game was my new, my new dude, Nate Knight. It was unbelievable. Um, so there's been some talk about the schedule and is this team prepared for conference play? They still have one more non-con against Marshall on New Year's Eve. Um, Paul, you were at that game on whatever day that was Saturday. Um, what's your take? Like, are you confident this team is ready to go in the ACC play? They obviously start with number nine, Florida state and Charlottesville. So luckily not a road trip to Florida where historically, except the last couple of years, historically Virginia hasn't done very well. So that's good. At least, um, What's your take on the team? Are you concerned? Are you look? I it's uh, I am less concerned. Uh, DeAndre showed up. Yeah. Like, like whoa against William and Mary, eighteen points, um, nine of them from the line. Uh, and what I like about that is that it's showing not just a willingness, but an ability to go to the hole, get you know, draw the contact, mm-hmm. and and kind of spark an offensive night that way. And and not just an offensive night. Hopefully, it's sort of sparking DeAndre. You know, just the, the just seeing him go through mentality. Um, so, yeah, I, I, there, I'm still – I would have liked to see more off-the-bench play um, yeah. going a little bit deeper against a team like William & Mary. Uh, the, the fact that, you know, with a 20-point lead pretty late in the game, that I would have liked to see Huff and Anthony and – um, yeah, maybe Badoki who got his, he made his college Yay! debut. Which is um, I would have liked to see them play maybe from the under four all the way to the end of the game. Yeah. Um, instead of just mop up in the last 90 seconds. Um, it's just a little bit surprising to have not seen that. Uh, and it does make me concerned of if we get into conference play, if we get into, you know, the, all the bigs get in foul trouble and, and Huff got to go, is it, is he going to put Huff in or is he going to go with some weird five guard lineup that DeAndre is playing center? Like, you know, it's yeah. like, uh, unfortunately, uh, I, I think it's more the latter. Um, and, and I say that, unfortunately wise, I don't know. Jay Huff is, I still think going to be a really good player for Virginia. A lot of people think that time has come and gone and it's like, he's done and he's not playing now. When is he ever going to play? Um, but it, like we've, I think we've talked about this before, just like it takes time in the system for big men to develop. And there's just stuff that he's not, I think it's clear he comes in and drills a three and everyone loses their mind and it's awesome. And then he gets taken to town very easily by night down low and back to back plays like in that, in that to Tony is why he's not in like, should he have stayed in a little longer or come in earlier, later in the game? Sure. Um, I don't know why. Like, obviously, we don't have any insight why he's playing the people when he's playing them. But there's also been debates previous seasons that he didn't do enough to establish the shorter rotation. So it's kind sure. of like, where do you stop tinkering in the non-con and let guys that are going to be playing significant amount of time together in the ACC play gel better and get more used to each other? I don't know which is right, which is wrong. Um, but it's a good point because I – Clearly, Anthony Marco comes in for defensive abilities. Um, right. And not saying that he can't. He has a very Malcolm-esque flat shot at this point. 
He's, I just always want to compare him to Malcolm because he's built just like Malcolm. When you talk to him, it's like you're talking to a physical, like, replica of Malcolm Brogdon. Um, and he did, he, he came in at Maryland and he was absolutely influential immediately. Like, Virginia could not get a stop at Maryland in the first half. He came in and they got several back to back. Then it's kind of like, what do you give up on the other end? Obviously, Clark is still a little bit rusty with the whole, you know, regrowing a bone thing that he's doing. Yeah. Um, take some time. Yeah, weird. <laughs> um, to your point on the free throw shooting, uh, one, I love that they've been going to like getting to the line more, like and yeah, you know, putting themselves there. And as a team, they're shooting seventy-seven percent, which is really good, especially when you consider <laughs> <laughs> everyone back off. Jay's is low too. Jay's at forty-three percent, and Jack's at forty-seven. Um, but including those, so you look at the guys that are going to the line the most, and Dre is shooting 83%. Ty's is 74. We should talk Which about Which is weird. Kyle. I thought Ty was like a 90% free throw shooter freshman year. It'll probably get back up there. Kyle's at 85. Um, Mamadi, 88. That's awesome. Wow. Um, Braxton is up there that. at 78. So, like, he's getting – and he hasn't gotten as much. So, he's 18 for 23. So, like, that's really good, too. And I think he's shown a little bit more – um in the past couple games and Mamadi has really taken advantage of starting the last two games um, I agree he was outstanding now, and that was nice to see against William Mary I will say uh, my my concern on the Huff issue mm-hmm. does have a little bit more of a time her a longer time horizon in terms of impact than just this season that say Huff gets frustrated at Tony not trusting him and not playing him and leaves um, which I don't think would be beyond the pale for a former four-star, highly heralded, obviously offensive talented player to go, nope, I'm not going through this anymore. Um, I think there becomes a legitimate question about big, play, big men developing under Bennett. Um, I don't know that I that, agree there. I, I, if nothing else, it becomes a fairly obvious negative recruiting opportunity for anybody else. Unless Casey Shedrick comes in and like, by all accounts, Casey Shedrick is the, what I think we've actually talked about Mm -hmm. this, that he's, he's the best defensive recruit that Beth got. There was a clip on Twitter the other day. I was like, what? Yeah. So like there is the possibility that, you know, Shedrick is next year's Kihei Clark, but a foot and a half taller. Um, and then all, then all, then this is a moot point that it's that it's a big man who's playing early and playing frequently. But even Mamadi, Mommy Mamadi was a uh, high four star. Mamadi didn't play basketball until he was in high school. Right, right no, but it he then had to sit. Like I get what Jack brings to the team. I like <laughs> Jack is a no, contributor to what this yep. team does and tries to do. But people who watch Virginia basketball casually even serious basketball people if you told them that you had you know a six foot eight six a six nine bouncy four star and a seven footer who can shoot the three and both of them sat behind jack salt for the last year and a half they would think you're crazy Um, i want to put all of this blame and i think a lot of this perception on it comes from from austin nichols and here's why, because he really did 
screw up some stuff when it came to not just his own personal life stuff, but this team development and progression because succession planning. Yes. Because there was supposed to be an all American caliber center playing for this team for two years. Right. So when he decided not to do what he needed to do, like that changed. Now Jack is the guy. Jack was never supposed to be the guy. Like he, he would tell you that as much. Like he's not like that wasn't, this is all still kind. And so that gap, like the look at the big one that Tony has had and has developed that have come up and there's been a succession plan. But there has, has there been a, like a true big, like, I mean, Akil Mitchell and Darion, but and, they're like six, eight, six, nine. I'm, talk, I'm yeah, talking, I'm talking, but basketball is going away from the true Brit from the true Brit big. No, even, no, no, but it's not, it's not, going, I don't think it's going away. It's not a true big. He's well, a stretch that, four. I literally mean size big. I, I literally mean somebody who is that six eleven and up that can stretch the floor. And now UVA's got one and they aren't using it. Yeah, I agree that like positionless basketball he's, is coming. He's and, a year into it. I just think like I don't think he's going to. Tra- I mean, anything could happen. But like from what I've heard and like his actual interests and what he's a part of at UVA goes more beyond basketball. Okay. But, but, in, the, in the sense that, like, he's part of different groups and he's in a community and, like, but obviously anything could happen. He could get frustrated. Yeah. Um, I think because he redshirted, there's, like, a um, – it seems like he's been here longer than he has and – or at least playing-wise. He's a, and I he's do a think, redshirt sophomore, correct? Yes. He's 11 games into his second season. <laughs> so – and then people say, like, oh, so is Dre. I, but comparing development between – the two positions is tough. Like that's really hard to do. Like it's a lot easier to get in the game and start. I don't like, if you look at Jay, like, do you think he's physically ready to be part of a deep, like he's, he's, he's thin, he's, but <laughs> like, he's, he's he thin, but he's not, I mean, he, he, I don't know. I, he ordered he's three a, bagel he's a sandwiches. He's a legit shop. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, um, I just need him to close out with his hands up, and I will change my tune on a lot of things. Like, he blocked a three-point attempt. At I know, because he probably like, closed out with his hands it. up. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't need him I, coming in with his hands down his waist. It'll be interesting to see whether some of the offensive change that people like me have been clamoring for for the last couple of years, whether, to your point about like Nichols yeah. leaving, screwing up a bunch of the plans. That was just a huge chunk in the middle that is still yeah. fresh in people's minds. So you think like, we haven't had a good big man since Anthony Gill and we were supposed to have a good big man yeah. for two uh, years that helps succession. You know what I mean? And I get that, but I, I'm wondering whether next year, once Jack leaves and the available players in that sort of big range are Braxton yeah. Key, Mamadi Diakite, Jay Huff, Shedrick, you know, potentially ready if he's Kafaro. Uh, Kafaro, uh, right? Kafaro coming off of a red shirt. You know, you can play a little bit more up tempo, a little bit more positionless. You've got yeah. guys that can. You know, no, I'm not going to necessarily trust Kafaro to shoot the three all that. Like, <laughs> but like, you know, you've got two. You've got what? Kafaro's seven foot seven one. Huff's seven foot seven one. Um, you've got a couple of guys that can that are a little bit more nimble, a little bit more agile. It'd be interesting to see whether the sort of the blocker mover, which relies on sort of traditionally defined roles, um, becomes a little bit less the only thing they run. Um, if, if they try and do a little bit more, I mean, 
you know, the, the when Jack is has contributed the most on offense this year, it's been in pick and roll game kind of. Yeah, and um, I was going to say they've I'd added like a bunch of different wrinkles too. Yeah, I think they've added more this year than um, I think. If you if you've only watched a, and I'm not, this is not you. If the mass that continued want to say like oh Virginia's boring, I've only watched a couple games. You might not have seen some of the having like we've talked about before having guy and ty being able to run off ball combined with jack screens combined with kihei being the salt whisperer and using him on pick and rolls um has definitely changed up what the offense can do where they run into problems is if too many of those are out of the game and they don't necessarily know there's a, there's still been situations where they've had a lot of standing around which right. is what makes me know the other yes they've changed but when they need when, when the offense is struggling they don't go to something different they it's it is it seems like it always reverts back to run the blocker mover better um or drive the lane which i think they've done a lot better this year that's fair but maybe it's, off it of feels, the blocker it feels like setup, but. it feels like there's a you know if, if it's been two minutes without getting a bucket if it's you know the the i don't know it feels like the default is it isn't try something different to exploit a matchup it's go yeah. back to what we do best and i, and I get it i i understand <laughs> um but it feels like if what you do best hasn't been working don't just try to do it better like, like <laughs> i do uh, think against william and mary like the last t- ten, seven, eight minutes of the first half were not good a lot of turnovers no, really ugly. um some bad shots and then they like knight was able to get some stuff on offense and that's when they like Made a little bit of a run. However, during that, they did seem to try new things, which I was like, I like the idea, but maybe don't try and do a nifty pass, which goes right to a guy in the middle, and then they get a run-out basket. So it's kind of like maybe – and if you're going to try stuff, now's the time to do it, or then was the time to do it. Like when you're – again, at no point where things felt different that so far this season is like at no point has – I want to say in like really any of the games – which feels like a lie now because I'm always nervous, but like at no point, like, like against Maryland, against Wisconsin, even with William and Mary getting within six points to start the second half, was I like, Oh no, here we go. Like, this is it. They're going to lose. Like they're going to blow it. Like people have stepped up and taken a big shot or hit a big shot or um, Ty is just ridiculous. I don't yeah. like he needs to stop because he's like starting to make top thirties and shit. And I can't, if him and Dre leave the same, I can't, I can't deal. Um, but yeah, it, with, I'm going to go on my little scheduling rant. Scheduling is done anywhere from like three months to two years out, right? And coaches do the best that they can to set up a challenging non-conference that isn't going to destroy their team, that's going to prepare them. And that if you're not an ACC or Big Ten school, maybe sometimes SEC depending on the year or Big East depending on the year. Virginia doesn't necessarily need this year. They don't need a non-conference to make a tournament. The teams that need to schedule crazy non-conference are Gonzaga or Nevada or whatever that need these games to say like, Hey, look, we play in the mountain West, but we can hang out and do well against these other teams. Right. So everyone wants to see the Villanova's and the West Virginia's and those are fun, but there's no way to predict year in and year out who's going to be what. Right. So that's fair. The Wisconsin game is – that's – I don't know why people are discounting that like it's not a good win. It's a neutral floor. Not that everyone is discounting it, but they should have been able to play Butler. 
but Butler lost to a team that Virginia beat. So that's how yeah. stuff works. Also, when you get into these bigger tournaments, like a battle for Atlantis, that's not the Corpus Christi classic. <laughs> you, the expectation is that you're going to play tougher teams. So you might yeah. not schedule as yeah. tough of teams outside of that as you maybe would have had like a Villanova or West Virginia before. So that argument, that rant is mostly for the folks that think that Virginia looks bad for scheduling week or that they're not trying or like, this is embarrassing for a top 10. Like that's not how this stuff works. Like they just schedule teams that are, they scheduled South Carolina coming off of final four. Towson fell off the face of the earth. GW fell off the face of the earth as far as pin palm rankings go. So anyway, I'm not too concerned. They'll have plenty of time to either, show that they're ready or pick up big wins when they play an incredibly difficult ACC conference. They've got three top 10 as of right now, three top 10 games in the first month of the season. Yeah. Plus including one of them being a road trip. Yeah. God, the first, the first month of ACC play, you've got road trip to number one Duke road trip to number 20 NC state plus road trips to Notre Dame and Clemson in there. Uh, and then home top 10 matchups against Florida State and Virginia Tech. So we'll we'll find out whether this team's a paper tiger or not. Yeah. Um, and we'll find, unfortunately, we'll find out pretty quick. Uh, I just, yeah, I think the other thing that I find interesting about the a lot of the hand-wringing is there were no games. Like Michigan is, a, is rightfully being praised as a one of the best teams in the country, right? They, they have struggled with some of the not-as-good teams at various points in their games, right? So, like, struggled in the sense that either they were losing to Western Michigan in the second half. They were only, they didn't have a huge lead on air force going into the second half. Like not anything where maybe Michigan fans were concerned they were going to blow it, but like eh, they were, they've, they've had, <laughs> that's, true. that's true. But like <laughs> against then that's Western Michigan's like two Oh nine South Carolina, which I think most people think Virginia handled with relative ease. There were a couple points where again, South Carolina got close, but you know, like you, they were on the, Virginia was on the road, Michigan was at home and struggled with South Carolina at times, right? Virginia hasn't done that. So in their defense with this scheduling debate is the games that they were supposed to win, they handily won, right? Like there were no doubts about the Towsons and the Middle Tennessee States and the Morgan States and even VCU, which was a tight like Commonwealth matchup type thing they handled it. So that's where I'm kind of like, and then games like Maryland when before people were concerned, can Virginia outscore anyone? They finally do. And everyone's still like, well, they let Maryland come back in it. And I was like, all right, well, you know what? Here we are. (laughs) Anyway. um, Yeah. So last game of the season, sorry, (laughs) (laughs) non-conference. Last game of the season. (laughs) As we head, as we close out 2018, they play on New Year's day, New Year's Eve's day. There you go. 1 p.m. game on New Year's Eve. <laughs> so it's technically anyway. Um, against Marshall. Like New, what is that like? New Year's in India? <laughs> yes, exactly. I think that's it. <laughs> They're playing it to celebrate New Year's exactly, <laughs> celebration yeah. in India. Yeah. Exactly. Um, against Marshall, which is a very fast-paced um, John Elmore. I was going to say Len Elmore because you know ACC. Um, but yeah. Anyway, so we've got a bunch of stuff going on coming up. We've got bowl game on Saturday, um, basketball on the 31st. And uh, thanks for listening. Stay with streakingthelawn.com for all your updates. And on behalf of Paul and myself, happy holidays and go Hoos.
the chance to use reliable energy to grow your money with the Dominion Energy Reliability Investment. Our new investment product offers competitive returns, no maintenance fees, and flexible online access to your money. Make the reliable investment in reliable energy. The Dominion Energy Reliability Investment. To find out more, go online to reliabilityinvestment.com. That's reliabilityinvestment.com. Huge savings on new and previously leased furnishings. That's right, huge savings. At Court Furniture Clearance Center, choose from our wide variety of new and previously leased furniture and decor for your home or office. You'll find sofas from $199.99 and more. Everything in our 9,000 square foot showroom is Court certified, guaranteed, and in stock. Ready for delivery or to take home today. Visit our Chandelier Court Furniture Clearance Center at 13946 Lee Jackson Memorial Highway or go online at courtclearancefurniture.com. Mention Radio 20 and get 20% off.